Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. And this week, we're sinking our fangs into the long-awaited co-op shooter Redfall from Arcane Austin, in which the seaside New England town of Redfall is having a bit of a vampire problem. As the town has been overthrown by those who fear sunlight, in addition to using their influence over the local populace to worship them, and it's up to the player and three friends to free Redfall while there's still something left to save. And joining us to chat, Neck Nibblers, Arcane Design Ethos, and Overlord Influence is returning friend of the show and Blade Disgusting contributor, Aaron Bame. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. No problem. We always enjoy picking your brain about games. And, you know, there was really nobody else we could have on to chat about an arcane game because uh, we've had you on previously to chat about Prey. But I know also, you know, your love of horror is very much uh, deep rooted like Neil's and mine. And uh, I believe the three of us, you know, were super excited for this right from that first sort of announcement. Not only the fact that you have a vampire game, but also the fact that, you know, arcane is making something that... Now that we've gotten our hands on it, it seems like it kind of is being derived from a direction that they've been heading in. But even from the outset, you know, it seemed like it was something fresh and new that we hadn't necessarily uh, seen from them. So I guess, you know, for you, Aaron, what was your sort of expectation for Redfall? Yeah, I was extremely excited going into this. Um, I thought it was interesting that both, um, you know, we had we had Prey and then um, sort of Dishonored series kind of closed up in a in a way and then it seemed both of the studios of of arcane were taking a bit of a chance to branch out and kind of take a little bit more creative risks like we had death loop that was like hey what if we did an immersive sim uh but made it a roguelike you know and kind of made this interesting time loop structure um and and you know maybe added even a little bit of hitman into it um and kind of you know took the pieces we usually have and remixed them into something cool um, and unique. And then, um, Redfall seemed like they were kind of doing the same thing, like taking, you know, taking the immersive sim things and then remixing into a, a co-op shooter with a little bit more open world element. Um, so it was, I was very excited to see them, uh, continuing to like play with their format and, and sort of like evolve what they've been doing and push the, push the immersive sim space into like a, a little bit of a different new direction. Yeah. I think that, you know, as somebody that has been playing catch up, over the last three or so years and just trying to play as much arcane uh, of their back catalog as I could, right? And I think that our episode on Prey really helped convince me to like, oh, maybe I should return to some of these games that I wouldn't say I necessarily bounced off of them, but I didn't put enough time into them to truly appreciate what was so special about arcane's sort of design ethos and their approach to world building and how, you know, while you might look at something like Dishonored and be like, oh, it's just a first person stealth game, but as we all know, uh, there's a lot more to that in terms of the mechanics and whatnot. Uh, for Neil, for you, you know, you're a huge arcane guy as well. Uh, what was sort of the most intriguing aspect of Redfall and sort of arcane seemingly branching out and trying something slightly different? Well, first, it was just vampires. Yeah, that for me was always going to be the main thing because you know, I love vampire stuff and to have that um, in that setting as well. You know, it has a vibe to it that was just right you know and yeah i suppose after deathloop and yeah it's open and free in a way but still very much structured in levels in the same way that uh previous games were and seeing what you know arcane austin did with with prey and the talos one where you, you know they really did just make one big place really and make it feel like that even if you didn't have to load in between places, it felt more like a place than any other arcane game. So 
this felt like it was going to be the next ambitious step, you know, where they could actually just seamlessly do that um, and have this sort of great big open world thing. I still thought it would be quite small by open world standards. You know, we still have like pockets of interest the same way you do with most uh, sort of arcane games. And yeah, I, I think it was always going to be a bit of a gamble. And I was intrigued to see how they did it because, you know, I think Prey is so different to you know arcane leon's games you know it, it, not just stylistically but just in the structure of them so i was very much looking forward to it i suppose the things that put me off ahead of time were just the fact that knowing half of the people behind prey had gone you know and uh, gone off to do you know all five studios it made the wonderful weird west um which uh, timely that they uh, put out a next gen version of that this week um, as well so <laughs> like a little reminder but yeah so I, I was very much thinking wow this could be right up my street even if it isn't it like a normal arcane game sure yeah you know I think for me it was probably that setting right I'm a, we're such suckers uh, you know horror fans in general I think for that sort of seaside New England town and the fact that there is some type of entity that's taken over that town and, you know, I was really interested to see how Arcane could craft a world with something like vampires, right? And how they could expand on that to make the world itself be reflective of that. I think right off the bat, that's what was most intriguing to me. And the, you know, Arcane not known for having character classes or like heroes, right, in their games. But that was really interesting because I wanted to see characters that not only provided a plethora of play styles and abilities and whatnot, but again, sort of that DIY monster hunter vibe that I think that first trailer kind of had, right? You get to kind of see the thrown together stake launcher, and then you have, you know, people that use tech. They've got this turret or this little robot that'll assist you, and then you've got this telekinetic powers-based hero. And I'm curious, you know, what characters did you guys play as, Aaron? Which one did you uh, go with? I picked uh, Jacob, the sniper. Um, I, I generally end up being a bit more stealthy in these types of games, so that mm. was kind of what I wanted to lean to. Was the was the um, you know the invisibility power has been the one I leaned on a lot. <laughs> Were there uh, any other particular powers within that class that really stood out or really helped sort of amplify uh, combat in a way maybe that was a little more unique than just a sort of standard shooter fare? I think that's one of the I think that's one of the um weaknesses of this game for sure is that um since they've kind of divided it out into four different character classes um it feels like each of them are a bit more thin mm -hmm. than they they should be like you know really having only like three abilities um doesn't really give you much to work with especially if you know if you find one of those abilities is not super like i have you also have like this bird that scouts for you and, and tags enemies um which is which is useful when you're trying to stealth but um you know once you break stealth it's it's not quite as quite as <laughs> useful which happens pretty frequently right. um and then also, since one of them is like an ultimate that kind of just, uh, you know, recharges, it really feels like for the most part, you only have two powers in your toolkit. And um, and a lot of the upgrades of them don't really seem to be quite as, as meaningful or powerful as they could be. Um, so I, it, it kind of reminded me of like, um, like they kind of experimented with stuff like this in Prey Mooncraft, yeah. where they had like, you know, the five mm -hmm. different characters that you could you could build out. Um, you know, but they were locked to certain powers. But the but the difference with that was 
that you were constantly switching between them. Um, and one sure. of the one of the things I was really surprised about was that you absolutely could not switch at all between characters. Yeah. Off, you know, once you picked one, mm-hmm. it's like okay, that's that's your path, that's yeah. your choice for the whole time. Uh, which which really kind of uh, caught me off guard. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I picked uh, Layla, who is the telekinetic character, and so she's got three abilities. She has the umbrella, which is basically is able to absorb damage that's coming in and act as a brief shield before kind of throwing that damage out to enemies that get too close. She has an elevator ability, which basically just hurls you in the air. And then her special is she can summon her ex-boyfriend, Jason, who's a vampire uh, that fights alongside of you. And what I was not expecting was one of those powers, that being the elevator lift, that's basically useless or it's not really needed, um, Most mostly because something that I was anticipating going into an arcane game was an environment that requires a little more strategy and kind of traversing, right? I'm thinking about Dishonored. I'm thinking about Prey. And in this, you don't really need anything like that. There's no environments that you come across that you know, if you spend more than 30 seconds staring at it from a hilltop, it's like, oh, okay, there's a pathway right there. I don't really need a special power for that. At the same time, I could see that having some basis for, you know, aiding allies in multiplayer or something like that or in co-op. But then again, that's a power that half of the use of it is tied to one play style where I don't have that ability if I'm playing in single player. So it kind of just feels like they're splitting the usefulness of those powers between a single player experience and a co-op experience. And I suppose the co-op experience side of that ability is probably more useful than the single player side of it. So like when we were talking about early on and uh, sort of announcing the game and whatnot and saying, well, you can play this in single or multiplayer and you won't notice that much of a difference type of thing. I don't know. The powers feel like they're mostly constructed around co-op to the detriment of single player at times. Cause I played around with, um, I forget their name now, of course. It's the guy that has the C4 charge, and then he also has, like, a teleportation device. I never really needed to use that because, again, it's kind of like there's no environments here that really require a great deal of thought and traversing because chances are you just have to leap onto a crate or something like that. Uh, Neil, for you, which class yeah, did you I go with? Yeah, I went with uh, Davinda, the, the amateur cryptozoologist, um, and his sort of arc javelin, uh, which is a cool weapon in itself, you know, has that sort of area of effect um quite good in the early going when you're just trying to pick off a couple from range and he has that black light of course that could be upgraded and does some good stunning damage and if you've petrified vampires you can sort of explode them that way and yeah he has a a homemade sort of uh, translocator as well so where you can just zip from one place to the other short teleportation so again skill wise I, th- I think his skills tend to work okay generally for a single player thing. I did notice that they are enhanced oh, in all characters. I think you know they're, they're all enhanced once characters are together in in a game yeah. when you have a co op game because they complement each other. Because as we've kind of alluded to, um, Arcane has basically taken one person's skills and just split them up amongst several characters, which. You know, in Mooncrash, as Aaron was saying, works really well. Uh, and here I think it does too, but the problem is that the single player definitely suffers for that, you know, because some characters from what I've you know, been talking with other people are just basically useless. 
you know, they they offer nothing in a yeah. single player sense, and you are basically playing on hard mode by uh, playing as those characters. So, which is a shame um, because I think they put a lot of personality into each of them, and I think that's one of the things that was immediately apparent is they put a lot of effort into the characters as people, you know, which I think has been an ongoing effort in recent games, you know, with Deathloop showing that they could do that at Arcane and really sort of beef out their characters. But yeah, it's um yeah, unfortunate that they don't really work so well solo. It's yeah, it's interesting. Um it's interesting that you say that because like I I I haven't played this in multiplayer at all. Um but uh for me with the stealth stuff it seems like that would almost be useless in multiplayer because mm-hmm. like you know i be, if i was the only one mm. that could go invisible um and everyone else is in like an open firefight it seems like i'm just gonna kind of have to break that immediately and just turn into a mm-hmm. firefight character that doesn't really have any additional offensive capabilities this is it. don't you think that that's generally the feeling when developers make multiplayer games and mm-hmm. co-op experiences they expect players to behave in a certain way and, you know, it's not to say it's naive to expect people to do that, but players don't like to sort of adhere to certain traits and certain ways. And, you know, there's an optimal way they'd see the game being played. But if you're paired with strangers, it ain't going to happen. And yet not everyone's going to have all their friends playing the same game together on time and having a laugh that way. And even then that doesn't guarantee you, you know, cohesive play. So, <laughs> so sure. if you have a game centered around that, then you are going to need everyone to understand what their roles are. And it's a bit too fast and loose, which is part, you know, arcane's mm. sort of, you know, vision for games, which is a go at it how you feel and um, part, you know, not very good direction as into what the characters really can do. It would take a lot of time, like, in fairness, most arcane games do, where the more you play, the more you understand the powers and how to juggle them and what to do here and there. And here, yeah, the only way you can really exploit the best of the powers is to come up against with someone else who has something that complements it. And again, even then, if you don't have a full team and you have, you know, certain abilities together, they may not gel. Yeah, and so it's... It's one of those exactness things, you know, things where everything has to be just right to, to go right. And that's death for a co-op thing yeah, because mm. you, you really don't want that to be your overlying thing. Because if that's the case, what you're left with is very much just a hack and slash, smash and bash sort of situation because that's all anyone can really do because... You can't coordinate stealth, you can't coordinate abilities properly, and you are just four people playing the same game at the same time by accident. And the construction of just a lot of those combat scenarios, I mean, I played a little bit of co-op, even with, you know, I did random, and then I played with some of my buddies, and we got everything kind of synced up. But at the end of the day, the sniper class seems to be most effective in single player, right? Because you dictate the pace of engagements, whereas... I didn't come across, I spent 12 hours with this game and I came across almost no encounters when playing with other people. Like we're going to stand around and wait for the one sniper to just like pick off these guys. It got to the point where they would take out one or two guys and then we would just move in after that. Cause it's like the game, the engagement themselves, mm. like the firefights and whatnot. I mean, you almost immediately alert a vampire and vampires always roll with at least two others typically. So 
approaching it with stealth, it's like you might be able to drop one of them, but then it alerts everybody almost yeah. instantly, I found. That mm-hmm. might be more of a detriment um, or indicative of AI that is not great, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that's probably the thing that stood out to me early on was just like how bad the AI is in the sense that they have these very predetermined sort of patterns. If I fire once, instead of going into an alert mode instantly and I miss, right, they just kind of like turn around and look where the bullet went. They don't like duck or retreat or take cover or anything like that. So it kind of just felt like, okay, I mean, I could go through this and do stealth, but it'd probably be more fun just to run in there because I can basically blow through anything that comes my way anyways because the AI is so chaotic. Um, I would say even like the vampires, right, that which are obviously stronger than a lot of the mercs, they're so erratic that if you miss one shot, they get they are the ones that go into this heightened alert state, but they can like phase through walls and parts of the environment and stuff like that. And it didn't strike me as a game that really stealth was a option outside of single player, yeah, I suppose. Absolutely. And so just to go back to what I was saying about the misunderstanding of multiplayer um, and how good intentions can be like that. I only had to think back as far as Deathloop and how people just did not get the point of Deathloop's you know, online mode, which, you know, everyone just thinks it's to be a prick and that's it. It's like when half the fun is actually, no, no, no it, it's subverting that and coming in and helping people out, especially when you get the story of that game and it loops around and how that ending works out. It makes sense for Juliana to come in and like maybe toy cult, but also kind of help him out like that and, I love that aspect of it and, you know, seeing both sides of it and seeing how, you know, I was lucky to see the devs in the review phase, you know, invading my game and uh, having a sort of standoff with um, with Dingo, actually. So that was interesting. And then you get a better feel for what the multiplayer or the online portion should be. And yeah, it, But yeah, then after, once the game came out, just... People either ignored it, were annoyed by it, or yeah, just plain did not understand it. And it was unfortunate because I think it was refreshing. Yeah, it really was a refreshing experience. And uh, this, as we just said, though, I think it's really about that. It's just um, a game torn between structures. I think is probably the best way of putting it. Well, that's the thing. I'm not even opposed to the direction that they took with Redfall, right? It being more open world, having mm. more freedom. It you know I'm not even necessarily opposed to them taking sort of this looter shooter approach even more so than um, you know uh, uh, Deathloop did right and I think that the main issue that I have with Redfall is that it lacks an interesting gameplay facet that Deathloop mm-hmm. had right which is that you know that uh, roguelike style that thing that is like driving the yep. entire thing trying to get all those assassinations in one row. This game really has stripped away any sort of ingenuity in terms of the overall gameplay. And what you're left with, in my opinion, are shooting mechanics that are, you know, perfectly uh, okay, I suppose. But they doesn't really have the sort of either feedback or just the overall, you know, enjoyment of a shooter that makes me actually want to go out there and explore Mm -hmm. more of the world to seek out those engagements, to explore environments, to push for new loot. Because I just find the shooting overall to be pretty just average. Yeah, it's, if it's that, there. How did you guys feel about just it from a 
shooter standpoint. Yeah, I think I think um, the you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said there's a, like a lot of problems with the AI making the shooting not very interesting. Like, um, you know, being the stealth guy, I'm trying to play it a bit stealthy. Um, and uh, but there's not really, even though I have invisibility, there's not even that many. Um, mechanics to support that like um like yeah. when you, it's it's not like Deathloop where if you get up behind somebody you can like chop them with a machete and take them down in one hit you just do like kind of a a weird dumb punch and it may it takes out like you know maybe a specific amount of their hit points um so even even that strategy um doesn't feel good but like the the shootouts don't feel um as satisfying because i think that you know again we don't have this like com- com- compelling ai that is that is sort of like you know trying to work together and flank you and and think around you and stuff like that um or is just sometimes in some respects just like non-responsive where i like you know i'll turn around a corner and there'll be a guy you know 10 feet in front of me and it'll just be the question marks above his head and i'll (laughs) and i'll shoot him before he even you know actually realizes i'm there um but i also think that like the um because they went with the open world nature of it um, it kind of has to have a lot more of those random encounters that are just kind of peppered throughout. And those are mm-hmm. either, um, you know, completely underwhelming or like they just don't have the they don't have the like hand placed design of things that we're used to from something like Arcane. You know, like Arcane does such a good job of like taking things and handcrafting um, scenarios so well that so you can, you know, look at guard patterns and, you know, um, look at the level and work your way around. And I just don't feel like, especially in the open world parts, it has any of that. Like it, it feels like it's there, but it, because mm-hmm. it's so spread out, it's literally in little mm-hmm. pockets here and there. And it's like, gives you these little brief glimpses of what could have been and you're like oh, damn it you know? i do feel like some of the um some of the like bigger missions that have like you know like go to this mansion yeah. and uh you know go around and do something have like exactly what i want mm-hmm. like every once in a while i'm like oh this is the game i wanted to play this is the game i yes. was hoping the yeah. whole thing was going to be like um i don't know how much specifically we want to talk about story stuff but there's a there's this there's the um there's the mission with the mansion and the dollhouse and all that sort of stuff. And that was like the moment I like everything clicked, like every single part of it clicked for me. I was like, okay, this is awesome. Like I'm going in, I'm getting this, this really interesting um, mix of, of um, level design and uh, uh, character stuff that's being given to me through the level design and integrating it into the puzzle and um all that sort of stuff um but again it's never really that like and and also there's there's people going around and i can sneak around them and you know uh, make my way through it without having to get into a big firefight and take it how i want but it's never like because it's like a cool shooter you know it's it's not because like the shooting is compelling it's not like holy shit i got into this really cool firefight and and you know i just barely made it out by the skin of my teeth it's more like uh, you know, I was able to isolate these people smartly and, and, and things like that. Um, but it, it just like, I just don't get as much from the gameplay as I'm used to getting, uh, uh, from, from most other arcane games. Well, I, I think that, you know, when you go back and look at something like Dishonored 2, right. Or even Prey, I feel that those are two games where the experience is firing on all cylinders at all times, and that's why I'm so invested in those games. From a world standpoint, from an interesting environment standpoint, AI, combat, and in this game, kind of to piggyback off what you're saying, it's like 
this game is very selective in the pockets of when it is actually firing on that true potential on all cylinders. And I think that that mansion segment is a great example of that. It's an interesting environment that feels reflective of Redfall's world. It's telling a story that feels unique to the setting and the event that's happened there. And like you said, it's an environment that in the intricacies of its the way that it's constructed, the gameplay element, which a majority of the time is pretty lackluster, I would say, it is perfectly serviceable because it is working within this environment that you're actually invested in and the construction of it as well, right? I think that that mansion specifically feels a little bit like a maze almost instead of one of these sort of copy and pasted houses that you come across any number of when you're exploring that open world. But at the same time, I'm more interested in that segment of the game because it has that sort of weird factor that I want. It's a vampire game. It's Arcane who is able to make these really compelling worlds and fill them with variables that it's like, well, how have I never seen anything like this before? I think about like the clock, um, the clock tower level from uh, yeah. Dishonored 2. Clockwork Mansion. Yeah, yeah. constantly... Yes, mansion. yes. Clock, another mansion, right? Um, but just seeing how they're able to take these environments and make them truly unique and reflective of those worlds is something that feels like it's so sparingly peppered throughout Redfall that it's you can't ignore the fact that 75 or probably more than that, probably 85% of the experience is these completely bland and forgettable environments that it could be any other open world looter shooter that you're playing at the, any given moment. And, you know, I think that those mansion moments and even um, the nests that you can come across, those are probably the most interesting environments in the game because they have this sort of twisted, surreal nature of how the geography is laid out. You have a world that's like all warped together and you've got buildings that don't really make sense in how they're constructed. But when you get down to it, each of those nest segments plays out exactly the same. Kill 15 vampires, you do that final segment of like destroying the heart or whatever, and you got 20 seconds to grab as much loot as you can. And it's just like, after... I was bored of that after like six hours and I played for another six just because, you know, I want to be try to be as thorough as possible. But I was like, as soon as the world opens up more, like you get out of that first district, I like audibly groaned. I was like, oh, I've got another environment of the same size. Chances are it's not going to be filled with like all of a sudden all the creativity comes out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Though I do think when you do get to that second half, it does kind of get better and more in its groove um, overall. Yeah, as much as it can. But um, yeah, a game I actually thought of a lot whilst playing from this year was Atomic Heart, which also suffered from the what's the point in this open world stuff? And because it was always better when it went indoors in small areas, sorted the puzzles out. And, you know, I, I know that game got shit kicking from a lot of people as well, but I think those indoor environments were really well done, you know? And then in terms of like having a mainly open world with immersive sim style stuff, I mean, fucking hell, Dead Island 2 did a lot more of that than Redfall does. Even on a very basic level, it has the immersive sim stuff in it in terms of like, um, you know, the different environmental things you can do. You know, I think there was a good few videos going around recently this week of just people pointing this out. You know, the stuff like, you know, make the zombie walk across the glass on a ceiling, crack the glass, knock them down, sort of stuff like that, and little alternate routes round to places and stuff like that. And yeah, that to me is one of the many weird um, sort of uh, connections between 
what's happened with Redfall for Arcane and you know what happened with Dead Island 2 for Dambuster and it was Dambuster famously went off piste with a, a big showy version of what they would did best with Hayes uh, back when they were free radical and that tanked them for a long while you know and they've managed to sort of fight their way back make a game that is probably sl- <laughs> ends up being slightly more arcane than arcane's game at a time when they're having their haze moment really and it's um it's mad the sort of weird connection that ended up having between those two one facet of combat that i thought was not as poorly handled i suppose as the other uh side of combat which is when you're just kind of getting into firefights with the mercs right which we've already established our uh you know are let down by their poor AI. The vampire side of things, I thought was at least like a good level of challenge, but that's primarily due to the fact that you have to utilize the DIY yeah. sort of vampire gear, right? The UV rail gun, you've got the stake launcher, uh, flare guns and whatnot, which I thought it added a nice sort of facet to combat where you have to juggle between weapons that are more ideal for human enemies and then the mm-hmm. vampires themselves, right? And there's even that cool animation that you get once in a while where if you have a stake weapon, you can kind of just stake the guy and then he bursts into ashes, right? That's kind of cool the first half dozen times, but it gets a little old, I think, after that. But more importantly, you know, I thought that that was just an interesting way to kind of build upon combat that we've established is pretty basic and not all that fulfilling, but then I was kind of like, well, if I have to juggle between these weapons and like ammo at times can be mm-hmm. very scarce if you're not putting all your points into that. I was like, I need a second weapon set kind of like hot swap button yeah. like in Diablo or something, because I was like, I would have loved to have been able to experiment more with different loadouts and whatnot. But the fact that I have to go into the menu every time and kind of in real time, right, that doesn't actually pause the game and then go through and be like, OK, I have ammo for this gun. I need another vampire gun. Now I need a hum- like. I needed that hot swap, which is like not something that I typically am like taking the shooters to task for not having. But in something like this, when it is that looter shooter component and when certain weapons are completely useless against their human counterparts, it's kind of like that option kind of needs to be there, I found. Absolutely. Yeah, I was I was I do like the mix of weapons, um, but I felt like I don't know, like in, in the mix of like vampires and humans, but again there's there's almost this like there's again this like lack of like um of like it being meaningful like you know like the vampire is always just going to rush you the shoot, the humans are always just going to stand back and try and shoot you um so there there wasn't a lot of like interesting tactics involved with like dealing with them and again like you said with the the swapping between you know i really do wish you could have more than three weapons it seems really uh mm. limiting and um and also while switching them i i'm not much of a person who is engaged with looter shooters in a meaningful way. So having to like try and figure out if a, a rare level 11 is better than a, you know, a, a super rare level seven yeah. is, is a little into the weeds for me <laughs> when well, I just, this game will give you a crash course in that won't it? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. When it, when it's like, I like the fact that there are different, weapon types like uh you know even among the you know you have slightly different shotguns you know you have the those types of things are cool and meaningful in the way that it actually changes your combat and then like you were saying with the difference between weapons that were useful for vampires versus weapons that are useful for humans that's all that's all very cool but um getting down to the nitty-gritty of like seeing which one has 
you know, plus 10 frost damage type stuff, uh, you know, uh, that's the, not the type of thing I'm, I'm most interested in looking into yeah. when I'm picking I mean, weapons. death to that uh, as a thing in open world mm-hmm. games or big games anyway, because just increments of stuff is just boring. You know, some games it works, you know, I mean, I get it in Dead Island, for instance, because that's how it's been before and it's all about the elemental damages and changes and things like that, but there's so many games where it's like, here's this armor that gives you plus 0.1% of fucking uh, being nice to enemies or some shit. And it's it just it's all just noise to keep you invested in some sort of meta game that doesn't really matter. You know, it's like, here's the good armor, here's the really good armor, here's the fucking wonderful armor, go find it, that sort of thing. I like that simplicity. And I think there are more games that could sort of make that, feel valuable and rare instead of like well, I've had this arm for five minutes but now I found three more that are better you know and it's open world games especially just suffer from that so much you know where you will just find something you go oh this looks cool and then you don't have it for very long because you end up having to, finding something better and to, going back to Dead Island 2 one of the smart things they actually do with that sort of system is if you find a good weapon you can keep matching it to your level you know so you can keep making it better and keep making it better and at least keep it with you for as long as you want and that's even that's not really a thing here so yeah i I, I really that was the thing that was most sort of offensive to me as a thing in this because it just felt like the absolute opposite of what arcane do you know when you go back to prey and think that the weapons are varied and but there's only one kind of each and that's it. You know, they all have a really proper meaning to the behind them. You know, the design of that one shotgun in Prey will stick in my mind longer than any in Redfall. You know, absolutely. Because, you know, it's just there constantly and it has that really cool design that fits the world. And it's not just like, yeah, with all this stuff's just here for a reason, you know, for some reason. And it, that's the other thing I, didn't really like about the weapons here is that sure some of them look cool and they make sense in a we're fighting vampires sort of way but for the world not so much yeah that 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 back padding that you have in an arcane game you know the world in world detail that mean makes every little item feel like part of that world the weapons just didn't feel like it it just felt like a borderlands thing yeah and works for Borderlands, Borderlands is nonsense from top to bottom, but here it was like, no something about this feels like it's part of another thing, which again is a very big problem Redfall has, which it just feels like it's several different things smushed together to see if it will stick, and it doesn't quite stick, and I'm sure we'll get into the, the why of that, but you know, it was the thing that kept just kicking me every time I was thinking a good moment was coming or, or I had fun for a little bit that suddenly you'd be presented with another small reminder of yeah yeah but this isn't this isn't right and, you know to go into the idea that arcane and make a certain kind of game is silly anyway because they can change we've seen that and make different things within that same construct and for this game I was very much prepared for it to be very different because it was open world, because they were going co-op route. 
and it even taking it on its own terms i think it's failing in so many ways you know it, we we are sort of sitting here disappointed that it isn't like an arcane game and doesn't go up to that level and that's fair enough but it, uh, there is that other side to it which is okay to, don't compare it to those even then there are better examples of what it is doing out there which is yeah showing that they've made a bad sidestep into a place where they aren't proficient in it i think too smart to do a dumb job i think might be the best way of putting it well i think in terms of like what to expect from arcane i'm always expecting them to take something that at this point is tried and true and then applying some type of unique facet to it whether it's the world or the gameplay like Deathloop is a game that i think i definitely enjoyed more than um some of my buddies that i tried to get into because they said oh well you know i'm like either they weren't on board with the whole you know, roguelite element, which I mm. loved because it took that sort of dishonored framework and then it applies an even more complex sort of long game aspect to it. So it had this familiar side to it, but then seeing how they're able to take that and make it into this whole new type of experience was something that I was really excited about. And with Redfall, seeing them take the heroes and it more than likely having some type of shooter looter element to it in that regard. I guess I was just expecting them to, you know, apply that same, I keep coming back to the, like their ethos of design where it's like they get to throw this curveball that naturally doesn't come to a lot of developers that try to make games that operate in the same type of space. And like you'd said, this just ended up being a run-of-the-mill looter shooter. And I've described it to some of my buddies as like, it's for me in simplistic terms, it's like a six out of 10 type of looter shooter, but by arcane standards, I would rate it far lower because it lacks the ingenuity that I look for in their games and what they did so well that in the past, right? The fact that you can get something like prey and you're handed this IP that is very much the sort of just stock standard uh, shooter and then turn it into what we know 2016 prey to be, which is something that nobody could have seen coming. And it's a game that has so much depth to it that you really can't, fully appreciate what they were able to accomplish in one playthrough. Some people might even say in two playthroughs because it has that layer of complexity to it. Um, but I think we'll take a, just a quick break. And when we come back, Neil, you can, uh, <laughs> you can kick us off with some of the whys, because <laughs> I know you have a lot of thoughts on those as uh, I'm sure yes. Aaron does as well. And we are back from our break. And Neil, would you kick us off with some of the whys uh, behind wh why we think uh, Redfall was delivered in the uh, state that it was? On the simplest terms, you know, devoid of any blame, I suppose, is Arcane as a company in general, nature of being ambitious, going big, and generally having problems with the games at launch. You know, I think Deathloop was the exception, maybe, but the problem there is it had exclusivity, which riled people up. And then there's the constant need to try and explain what Deathloop was for a series of videos, which pissed people off for some reason. Because mainly because they weren't getting shown other games or PlayStation showcases. Not really a fault of Deathloop. Um, but I think back to Prey and you know, when it had those control problems at launch that where it drifted like crazy. You know, and I think led to a lot of the more negative reviews and you know Raphael Colantonio was if you've ever seen that documentary by Noclip you know how disappointed and bitter he was about that and understandably so you know 
I'd say that was... It was that very famous uh, IGN review that gave it like a 4.0 that was like, it was like, it was a great game until it crashed at the end. Sorry, I couldn't yeah. beat it. 4.0. Yeah, and it's just like, <laughs> I just, honestly, it broke my heart seeing a developer like that just feeling like that about something and honestly changed the way I reviewed games a bit because after that was like, there's things I don't think I need to take into consideration anymore because... Every game pretty much has problems on a technical level to some degree. And, you know, I remember when I reviewed Prey and I gave it like an 8.5 out of 10. And I you know, mentioned about the controls and, you know, the, the drift. And I said, well, you know, but I expect that will change, you know, as time goes on. And it did and it got better. And, you know, that was the uh, thing. But so, but you could, that can't be helped. And I think back to Dishonored 2 was a bit of an iffy state when that came out as well. Uh, on consoles especially. So, yeah, you you have those problems that come from making big games and that's, you know, part pass. Part two of that um, is when this came about, really, I suppose. Um, the fact that it lost people like Rafael Contodio uh, and, you know, that whole group leaving to make Wolf uh, Wolf Eye Studios that's a really big knock, you know, against that development team. You know, and I know you can't just point fingers and say this person is responsible for why this game is like this. But I go back to that interview on NoClip and just seeing how passionate he was about making these intricate details and seeing what they did with Weird West at Wolfie and think you don't have people like that around. It's very easy to sort of stray from the path, you know, and start being told what to do instead of what you should do. And that sort of brings in the unfortunate circumstances of being taken over uh, when they did uh, by a company like Microsoft, that if you are to present them with a shooter, they are going to want to change it. And I say this because you look at something like Pentiment by Obsidian, nothing they could touch, nothing they could go, well, actually, if you did this like this and this like this, you know, we could make this a more marketable game like that. It, it was very much a game that was like, that. Nope, this is what it is. Can't change it. Won't be any good if you do that. And it's very clear. But a shooter is just susceptible to all the bad things out there in, in game land. All the things, especially American companies, uh, love putting into games uh, like that. And let's be honest, most of those things are in Redfall. You know, that is undoubtedly there. Now, not saying that they wouldn't have done some of it anyway, but I, I think the looter shoot nature of it has been exaggerated as part of the process. And the other thing I think has been brought in here is because of Microsoft wanting big games for Game Pass and constantly failing to deliver them, you know, as they have kept promising games, oh, we've got games coming, we're buying studios, we've got this, that, and the other. This was one they were trying to rush out, and it is very much the first real example of the Netflix nature of Game Pass kicking a game in the ass. I think, because it was pushed out, not with the intention of finishing it and making it right, making it as it could be. And I think there, there's a good reason for this, which I'll get into in a minute. But because it's a big game from a big company, 
if it's on Game Pass, it doesn't matter if it fails. It doesn't matter if people like that. I, I, I just think there was a lot of cuts being told here. This is where I think most of the problem lies is Arcane's games are very systems-based. And if you have to take those systems out, that's a lot of work. And to put them back in is even more work. So if you stop working on those systems, if they're trying to rush you to a deadline and you cut things out, but that's such a big part of the game. And so you strip that away, you are basically lowering yourself to a level that you aren't supposed to be on and emptying your game of um, great stuff, you know? It, you are taking the diamonds out of the mine and filling it with dog shit, and it's not the best way of doing things, clearly. But that's where things like Game Pass kind of start pushing big games if you are making it to say, well, if we just say big name here, and I think this is informs a lot of what Microsoft are doing with trying to get Activision, is like perfect example of here's a big game that is the same game every year that people go mad for. Doesn't matter if it's shit. People will complain about it. Whatever we put out on Game Pass, it's a winner like that. So they'll do that. And yeah, that's the casualty. And I think one of the companies I was most fearing for in that Bethesda takeover was Arcane because I looked at that and looked at everything Xbox have made or produced or published in the last whenever, really. And it's not their kind of game at all. You know? And I think you can see the night and day difference between what PlayStation supported Deathloop with and what Xbox have done with this, where the promotion was weird. You know, the mock surprise from Phil Spencer after it came out with the reception it got doesn't really uh, <laughs> speak volumes. Um, and I think the preview phase as well was very much a case of them being made to show a dishonest segment of what the game was like. And I don't think the version that was played there really... Yeah, I think it was closer to a vertical slice than it was to the game we actually got. Yeah, and done deliberately so, yeah. so that we wouldn't, so that the previews would be positive and people might take the right notes out of it. And a lot of people did, you know, and very few of those people went on to review it and said the same things they said in the previews. I, I just <laughs> looked through some of the preview um, quotes and Game of the Year contender was among them, you know, which is, that must have been one hell of a segment because. Even at its best, I did not see anything in Redfall that really made me think that. I would bet that the slice that they saw was akin to like the mansion segment Ooh, that yeah. we talked about. It was something that had the most interesting yeah. elements of that. That if you were digging into this, what this could be, that would be a shining. That that would be a strong example of the yeah. potential for Redfall. Mm -hmm. And it's again, you know, that's fifteen percent of the experience. It's the seventy-five percent that they didn't want anybody to see, which is why you know it had that. What was it? Eleven p.m. Mm the night before embargo yeah. or midnight or whatever. And you know what I was saying before, you know, how they want the perfect experience for multiplayer and that in a previous build, you can sort of engineer that. You can engineer the right people together in the right circumstances, guide them along a certain path and create the most optimal experience for the game. And you could get the illusion that it was something that it ends up not feeling like. And some of that doesn't mean it's not there. It's just a lot harder to replicate when you are 
reviewing it when no one else is playing it really or very few people are and so yeah i, mean, I suppose the short version of that very long trouble is that uh microsoft probably is <laughs> the best thing to say on that one i would not be surprised also if what they were delivering was giving the people at microsoft sort of like the heebie-jeebies they're looking back to like death loop right which was very difficult to market mm. clearly what that game was what that experience was and something that you know for more hardcore fans of arcane or just you know games in general it's like okay i'm going to give this the amount of time required to learn the mechanics to get a grasp on what it's doing and then to really dive into that experience that's not to say death loop doesn't have its fair share of issues it does but i think that i would be willing to bet redfall had some of those types of mechanics and people got their hands on it and they were looking at it and they're like this is going to be on game pass we have to include more of the casual audience this needs to be more sort of just palatable for them so in removing those aspects they saw probably just the market in terms of like the percentage or the demographic of gamers that were going to be actually playing this game for those hours and like you said neil i think you're totally right just their their viewpoint on shooters is something that they understand that they've seen have success in a multitude of different ways. And if you give them something that's a little more complex, to your credit, like Pentiment, right? If you touch one hair on that from, you know, the Overlord's uh, perspective, it's like it starts to fall apart. Whereas they probably viewed the shooting aspect of it like, oh, well, we can kind of just trust that an audience will come around to the fact that, oh, it's got these shooting mechanics. It's familiar to whatever else they've played. And it's from this big studio. And we'll just push that out the door in that capacity and it'll do well yeah. they thought um and yeah. and yeah it goes back to the idea of what they want in their games and why they were after activision you know because of call of duty because it's the perfect simple game for them that would make game pass a perfect thing to fit it and it really does just look like they saw redfall and said we could make it into that kind of game we could market it as that kind of game it could be our personal far cry or whatever or borderlands and it was never going to be that, you know, even if it did fit some of the same genre bits, it was not that kind of game. But like I said, it had that ability to be shaped into something else. And when I think of the games we've mentioned, Pentiment, whilst complex on its own level, is very simple in a lot of others. Hi-Fi Rush, very much the same. You know, there are games that, as I said, you can't touch too much because they will just fall apart from that idea but with this it's flexible enough because of that complexity they can turn around go do we really need this this stuff all this other stuff and i you know obviously it's all just assumption and that but still you you can't see everything microsoft has done in the last few years and then look at this game and say they didn't you know, have a finger in the pie and say, and maybe just put the whole fist in when they should have just let it be on the windows. So, yeah, I I think you you can see clearly there is outside influence in a lot of ways. I think the emptiness of certain areas really screams that for me. I think, yeah, it's a difficult one. One of those situations where I don't think we'll ever know the truth just because they work for them. And until they get kicked out, that'll be it. I don't you hear a bad word. And even then, I'm sure there'll be plenty of contracts signed that mean that no one can talk about that anyway. But yeah, it's it's just been very clear 
you know, when, when, the more I thought about it, playing this game, thinking of the other things that have been hits for them in terms of critical perception, uh, but not so much um, commercial, it, it made it really feel like just rush out to be this, 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 and this in the hope that it was. And that just speaks to everything I've seen from Microsoft that says, we want games, but we don't know how to make games. Yeah, and I think that's very true more and more, which should make everyone fear for everything Bethesda puts out going forward. Because <laughs> uh, a company that is a bit fast and loose with uh, the technical things. And, uh, you know, I, I do worry that with the wrong direction, it might go wrong. I mean, Todd Howard being at the Bethesda head stuff still is good because I don't want to say quality because yes, we know they, they've had problems in the past, but I still think that at least having someone like that will at least have ambitions with that, you know, and will lead that team in a way they want to. And I think Arcane, much like Tango Gameworks, will just sort of be left to their own devices a lot of the time and then told what they should make the games be when they are um, fitting a certain mold. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious about a lot of it because I also don't remember how long has it been since Microsoft purchased Bethesda. It was just before Deathloop, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. so I mean, like uh, this has to have been you know in the works since you know shortly after Prey Moon yeah. Crash or kind of maybe concurrently with Prey Moon Crash. So that would be that would precede. Like I think a lot of the the issues I have with this game. Um, stem from you know the very foundations of its design Mm. you know this isn't something that i like obviously there are issues like technical issues that a lot of like i haven't run into as many technical issues as being reported um uh, you know maybe maybe a, a delay would have helped fix the ai or something like that but um i often wonder if you know the move towards multiplayer had them uh sacrificing some complexity there or um uh, just like I, I think, I think a lot of the issues aren't even you know coming in from you know some external things, but like just are baked into the oh, yeah, foundation absolutely. of the game. Like just like like the idea, like as they were, um, as the like you know hype cycle and marketing was going on of like them saying like it's our biggest game yet, like our biggest open world, our biggest world yet. Like that actually had me more nervous because like I don't go to arcane games because I want like a vast expansive. Yeah place to explore like you know um there's there's a, there's a very famous like um uh, war inspector the guy who uh, was the designer on deus ex um he always always talked about like you know with like immersive sim and rpg design and stuff like that that like his ultimate dream project would to be to like have a game that is literally just one city block and that's it like one perfectly simulated uh, city block that's like a little clockwork world that is all that like yeah. you know the entire game takes place there yeah. um so like having having like a whole bigger like the bigger the world gets the harder it is to keep that immersive sim vibe going where where you get it to be a little bit more like a far cry or like even like you know this reminded me um uh, more of like uh as i was playing it i was in this isn't just because of the technical issues but it was it was reminding me more of something like cyberpunk mm. where it was like there's like this big open world there's not like a ton to do in it you know it's like sure maybe you can go walk down a hallway and shoot with have a shootout with some you know mm. you know gangsters or whatever in cyberpunk uh you know <laughs> i mean that was another game um, that you know clearly had ambitions that the budget mm-hmm. and time could not meet at the time of release yeah and I think yeah 
it suffered more here because time ran out and stuff had to be cut. Mm-hmm. And when your games are as detailed as they tend to be, yep. you, as I said before, you were going to cut out so much just by taking mm-hmm. one element out even. You, you could change the game fundamentally. And I, and I think also, like the, the, the again, the splitting up of the, the characters into mm-hmm. like separate powers, you know, separate separate builds that have separate power sets um, also was probably uh, probably affected their level mm-hmm. design. Like, you know, you're saying you like you you have this elevator, like you, you can't, you know, this tele- telekinetic elevator or whatever. Like you can't really build the world to use that if you know only a quarter of the players yeah. are going to even have access to that. Um, right. So also all of the characters don't have a, some, a environmental traversal ability. Exactly. Only two of them do, I believe. So it's like if that would actually be a facet of traversing the environment, which in my opinion, is one of the weakest aspects mm-hmm. of this game is that it's boring as shit going from place to place, yeah. in my opinion. Like, it's it's like they made Far Cry, but they removed the environmental traversal section where it's like, yeah, vehicles. And I'm not saying this needed vehicles, mm-hmm. but to that point, right, it's the fact that in between those few moments that really stand out, getting there is a chore, in my opinion. And then the multitude of things you encounter on the way to that one moment that might be memorable are just as underwhelming as the journey there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and as it was, you know, as again, as the marketing cycle was going on and they were sort of emphasizing, like, it was very early picked up on that people were like, oh, this is left for dead, but for vampires or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, as the marketing cycle went on, they were like, no, 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 we're not left for dead. Um, and, and, and part of me is like, you know, imagines an alternate world where it was like, a mission-based thing where I didn't have to like, you know, I didn't have to go, you know, from the safe house to yeah. the, you know, to, cause I'm always just fast traveling to the close, the, the closest tra- fast travel point I can find anyway. Cause I don't want to walk all the way across. And the fact that I'm doing that is very indicative of possibly a problem with the open world design. If I don't really care to get around the open world, um, why don't you just plop me right at the start of the mission? Like there's a different world where, you know, I just go to the menu and I select this mission and it plops me in like a dis- like, like dishonored, you know, like they just have just, you know, just bespoke missions where it's like, just plop me in that damn mansion. I'll find all the do- dollhouse stuff and I don't have to worry about anything going around on around me. Right. It's not the size of the world. It should be more about the complexity mm-hmm. of the world that's yeah. presented. Yeah. The, um, the handcrafted which, measure. Yeah, it's, it it really goes the opposite way, it. as we were saying. It's like before Deathloop came out, when they were talking about like the freedom of it all, it sounded too good to be true. It sounded like if you couldn't do this real open world sort of thing with different times and stuff, that sounds needlessly complex. But then when you play it, you find it is just all segmented into bits. It still feels complex, but it's made in these manageable chunks that you know, give you the best of both worlds. And that was kind of closer to my thinking. You know, I thought Redfall might take a bit of that with a bit of what they'd done with Prey in the Talos 1 and just had the illusion of like an, a big place that you can constantly go through. But yeah, again, I just go back to that idea that so many key people leaving probably during development as well that that's um you lose a lot of talent that um can rein in your worst impulses you know i think that's true of any team it's like if you, if you lose someone important to your team uh in, in any profession you either have to adapt and change or you it's going to suffer if you try to emulate it and you don't have the right skill sets 
which is not to say that they don't have people that can. They just might not be in the right places to have that. So I think maybe the biggest thing hope-wise you can take out of this is that it's an arcane Austin in transition, you know, from you know, a very tumultuous sort of period in time where there was a takeover, people are leaving, and you know, all the while. I mean, I remember hearing that you know, they don't really communicate Austin and Leon that much about the games while they're developing them, apart from the odd one here and there. So it's not like they could sort of lean on each other to say, "Oh, we're doing this. What are you doing?" Like, because they want their games to be unique and their own thing. But yeah, it, it's my hope at least that if they get the chance to get settled and they aren't, as Phil Spencer was trying to point out, that oh yeah, that they can go in and fix the game. No, no. That you've gutted too much of this game to go back and really fix it you know, because that would take a lot more work and a lot more money that, let's be honest, if you'd thought about it the first time round, infinite pockets of money that you are Microsoft, you'd have just said... Let the game come out when it's ready. You know, so don't worry about those systems. Keep going. But as I said, not really that kind of game you know, for them. And I think somewhere along the line, someone made that decision and said, all right, we're going to have to cut this. And I think it was a big part of the immersive stuff and the interconnectivity. And when you've been making big, lofty game worlds for so long, it can make you feel like, well, we can do bigger, we can do bigger, we can do bigger. And maybe it's just they bit off a bit more than they could chew. As simple as that, when you get down to it. And that just had a knock-on effect that anyone that came into it was like, nah, this is too much. You know, Cut it back, cut it back. In terms of the size of the world, it, it is very surprising to me that coming off of Deathloop, which had these different zones and districts, right, that were not much bigger than I think their dishonored counterparts, right, in terms of their size. Um, the fact that they had that section and then they also had the day and night cycle and you're making a vampire game in the day and night cycle, not really playing a significant role in Redfall other than, you know, okay, they might be sleeping or something inside. But like the fact that you had that framework and not carrying that over and deciding like we're going to make this much bigger world and then we're going to, you know, there is a day-night cycle, but it doesn't have an effect on gameplay in a drastic way. I mean, how much better would this have been if they had broken up the world into these smaller districts that you can explore that then have more of what Arcane is known for, which is these environments that have so much more depth and layers to them. And you can go through them more times than one because there are that many pathways to solving whatever kind of conflict or whatever purpose you're in a given zone for. I mean, imagine if that played the day night cycle played more into how you approach missions. The fact of like, okay, this is going to be a nighttime mission. So I need to bring more vampire weapons or I need to, you know, and the inverse of that for if you were going to go out during the day and you're going to be facing more human enemies, like stuff like that would actually, again, like take that looter shooter framework, which we know, of course, Microsoft was very eager to, uh, you know, get their mitts on. And it just kind of like strips away any real ingenuity that Arcane could have injected into this, which the more that I played it, it just kind of was like, man, I could see, and, and you know, it's like Monday morning quarterbacking, <laughs> but it's just like, this is an interesting concept. It's a world that has a lot of potential. And yet when you get down to it again, you know, it's an average looter shooter in my opinion, but in terms of like viewing it through the lens of an Arcane fan and what's come before it, I mean, 
it's far below average through that yeah, lens, absolutely. right? It's um, something else in that regard. I mean, what you were saying there about you know, if it was more like those games where you have a bit more segmented, that would work for the co-op too because everyone has a clear idea of what they're doing on a mission. And again, that goes back to where Aaron was saying, maybe a Left 4 Dead-like game would be a better idea. I kind of get the, the aversion to it because every game that's tried to do Left 4 Dead has failed in some way, you know, because even the good ones have not hit that height, you know. They are good because they have something different about them, but they, they aren't Left 4 Dead. Let's be clear about that. I also don't know that you need to have four-player no. co-op. I mean, no. building off of, again, Deathloop, right? It's you and one other person. And if you have that district sort of approach to breaking up the world and, you know, the day-night and whatnot, okay, so you have four characters. All of a sudden, certain characters' abilities would pair better to given scenario instead of this general, let's throw everything at one mission or encounter or multiplayer session, yeah. right? I think that it kind of just makes them all feel like, okay, well, okay, this ability, I can either just like kick out a ton of damage or I can defend. But it's like, if you have to actually give the, each of the characters abilities that have some type of unique quality to them that lend themselves more to one particular scenario over the other. I mean, I played as uh, the telekinetic character and I played a little bit as a sniper. And at the end of the day, I didn't feel that I necessarily played all that different, mm-hmm. uh, even based off of their powers. It was like, okay, yeah, the summoning the boyfriend who helps distract enemies briefly, it's so fleeting that it's like it mm-hmm. barely has any impact on combat. I didn't feel like this ace up my sleeve that it should have. And, you know, same with the sniper. It's like at the end of the day, I get off a couple of shots when I'm uh, cloaked, and then inevitably somebody sees me, and that becomes all but useless. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and I, about the multiplayer stuff, I, I still haven't tried co-op, and I, at no point have I felt like I needed another player or the <laughs> game would... You know, I, yeah. I mean, like it's not like yeah. I'm not being challenged in some parts. Like, you know, sure. some parts are I'm still, still, you know, dying to vampires or whatever. Um, but, like, I've never been in an encounter and been like, damn, I wish... It, if only I would have had one more person here, this would have gone differently. Um, I'm still... I, especially with the way I like to play these games, it's like I feel like part of the... the the fun of it is to, uh, you know, solve, look at a problem and figure out how to solve it with, with, with the cool tools you have available. Um, and it's, it, it's not like, it's not like something like Left 4 Dead where like you're gonna just, you're just hoping to not run out of ammo and then your buddy mm-hmm. comes and saves you or whatever, you know. Uh, th- those types of games work for multiplayer because they are more simple. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, those are like, you got to have a reason for it to be multiplayer. Yeah. And maybe the reason of this is like, it's something to do and like hang out with your friends. Like, you know, I can kind of see that as like, you know, this is a cool thing yeah. to do and hang out with my buddies. Um, where like, you know, with back for blood or left for dead or whatever, like those, those like to be multiplayer because they are, um, they're about like this overwhelming wave, you know, you know, like the, the fighting these overwhelming odds and like, you know, uh, having this, this really, cool feeling of of fighting of like everybody having like this last stand against huge hordes of zombies or whatever um or something like gtfo which is like about like absolute player precision coordination like you you cannot play that game solo because you have to work you have to absolutely coordinate with a team to like you know simultaneously take out dudes 
and like have everybody like scouting their section of the the map to see if they can find all the resources you need and um that sort of stuff um whereas this i don't know why i want to i don't know what the hook is yeah. that's making me want to play it multiplayer or what it, you what, what's the intention is yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want something to be a distraction which is the really the only reason that mm-hmm. i found benefits you from playing co-op mm-hmm. is that it's like okay i'm gonna back off and hopefully the ai vampire will go after one or two mm-hmm. of these people that i'm randomly yeah. playing with well, i can pop which a couple is not, health kits or something yeah it, exactly and which is not <laughs> you know the intention of a multiplayer co-op experience gtfo is a great example of that of that you cannot get through that unless you are playing in tandem and being on the same page with your the, teammates yeah. it's a, vital it's the core yeah, of the experience there is a game that is playing to its niche you know, it, it, it doesn't care for numbers and profits in the same way. It's like, no, we're making a game that plays like this, and if you don't like it, sort off. That's it. And that's, yeah, that's it. And that's the way you should do it with multiplayer. You know, you understand your audience, and uh, you'll get the best out of them. Even if your game doesn't hit every quality note that it could, you still have something there that is pure and honest in its own way. Well, I'm going to take it back to Deathloop once again. I feel like all I've done is reference <laughs> Deathloop this episode. But, you know, there was a true purpose behind the multiplayer and the inclusion of multiplayer in that. You can either screw with people or it's the way in which you can aid somebody's journey through their current run. And in this, you know, to Aaron's point, it just it doesn't feel like there's any purpose to run co-op other than to mess around with your friends on a Friday night. Right. It's kind of like how I looked at Borderlands well, multiplayer. That's not how I played a majority of that, but it's like, yeah, I'm going to run through this and have a rip roar time with my buddies while we just kind of like fuck around yeah, in this current room. We also, the the no continuation of your progress yeah. in Redfall yeah. is one of the Duh. most maddening decisions. You know, we've been talking about it being something that was made more palatable for a casual audience, something that's approachable, something that feels familiar so the masses could, you know, gang up and play this. How do you not have that as a core feature that everybody gets some sort of progression out of that? The fact that it's locked to the host, it, that blows my I mean, mind does in 2023. does that not feel like something left over from the game was more complex? Because I could understand then, you know, if, you, if it was because, well, all this applies to your game, and if we start applying it to someone else's game when they've made different choices, it's just going to fuck up their game like that. And I think maybe that was a problem in development as they went along, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's that was one of the things I was trying to think why they would do it. That was the only reason I could think having played the game, especially it's like, I don't see why you couldn't just have progress be the same, but yeah. Well, yeah, it's speculation on my part, but I wouldn't imagine that at some point in development, the player's actions had more effect on the town and the different districts of Redfall. And that was something that, you know, is complicated if you have all these people that are ganging up and it's like, okay, well, what did our actions in this current run just do to my v- own version yeah. of the world, I mean, right? Um, I, but that's speculation. I suppose when you think of it like that, maybe you think of it more like someone's Minecraft realm, where, you know, it's their world, their rules. You, know, you don't really carry much over to somewhere else. Uh, you're affecting and shaping their world, which again comes back to why I think it was there from the beginning as an idea to shape one person's world. And... And if you were to go to their world and shape their world, it, you know, it would affect theirs, not yours. So that makes sense. But again, that's where that gaping hole is, where it's like now it's just there as a thing that feels like it's another thing to piss people off. Because there's no reason I can see why it's there otherwise. It just seems odd. And 
given what we know about arcane games, that's the only thing I can think of, the permanence of decisions and choices in one person's uh, playthrough. And even if other people are joining them, would make a lot more sense, you know, that they garden walled it, you know, like that. But yeah, as it is, nah. It's a shame because I think that this was probably one of the top games that I was looking forward to this yeah. year, I think. You know, we've been talking about it long enough, Neil. Uh, and to finally be so close to the release, it being delayed and then finally getting our hands on it and coming around to it and it just being this kind of like, not being the needle drop that we thought it was going to be, right? It kind of ended up being this experience where it was just like, well, maybe my hype was clearly misplaced because it's not indicative of what you were hoping for in terms of like that studio's pedigree and whatnot. Like and just, this, you know, I was going to be reviewing this for a site and in the taskbar, the morning, just as the reviews came out, the editor literally just said, task completed without ever getting the code because he knew there's no point yeah, at that point yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it would yeah. just be a waste of my time to do it like at that point and that just says it all really because if you, when, if you have a game come out and you've already delayed reviews to the last minute for those that did get to review it anyone else is going to be going doing it for rage clicks and that's it but even that was worn out really quickly you know, it's like I think most of it was just sadness from people that love arcane's games you know and um it's just so uncharacteristic as a game that there has to be outside factors uh, you know many of which i think we covered uh, i think and like i said all i can hope is that we will get some sort of stability with the next one but given the volatile nature of everything with microsoft and you know, then being blocked from that takeover and then being very petulant uh, about it. I do wonder if we're going to see a casualty in Arcane. You know, I hope not, but Arcane Leon will, I don't see Dinger looking at that and going, fuck off, are we making our game less complex for you to uh, ruin it? And maybe that's the lesson that will be taken by Microsoft from all this. If we go, Maybe we should just let certain studios do what they want and yeah, have that be, be more hands Because Bethesda, at its best in recent years, has been when it's like, these games are sold like shit, but everyone loves them you know, when they do play them. That was, that was a great period. You know, and whenever they sort of veered off from that, the quality levels dipped. I think of Doom and where that went with Doom Eternal, where I think that was a massive drop-off. You know, in, in terms of how the, the idea and the understanding behind what made Doom uh, so interesting, you know, was sort of lost in this. Like, let's make it bigger, 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 and do all these new things. And like, it worked to a degree, but it was just so much around it that just went wrong. You know, it's like, so yeah, I think Bethesda is just in its perfect groove when everything's flawed but great. You know, I think. Games we've mentioned already in this time on Safe Room, stuff like The Evil Within 2, stuff like Prey, you know, they're the games where we go, ah, people were shit on, shitting on these games, and yet now they're like cult hits, revered, whatever, and that, that's the way Bethesda is to me. That's the way I like to see their games published and come out. So, I mean, even Fallout 76, you know, a game that was kicked to kick to pieces when it came out really you could see the intention of what was there and 
it was corrected over time. And I think with live service games are one of those ones where you can do that, where you can just come back to it and go, you know, there's no point shitting on this now because it could be better in a, in a year and people will come back to it. You can reclaim your story. Redfall isn't enough of a live service game to really make that work. And, you know, I think we've got... It is that awkward sort yeah, of middle ground. Many, it's more of a cyberpunk yeah. game. You know, it's it's more of like a it's like a complete story experience. Yeah. It just happens to have multiplayer. Um and I guess they turned it around with cyberpunk. I haven't returned yeah. it. I, I didn't have a bad time with it when no, it no, came no, out. No, no, no. I mean but, literally um, mine was just like it crashed at a point where I could not progress any further, but until then it had been pretty good. But I mean here the money wise, well Microsoft have a lot of money. I don't think they'll fund it. Um I think more and more it looks like patience runs thin with that division you know the fact that you could ever talk hear about talk of microsoft's gaming division being sold it seems daft for a company that has spent stupid amounts of money on everything over the years with little to show for it it's just baffling i suppose i mean for for the english audience out there you know in moneyball terms i'd say it's like uh todd bowley uh Chelsea, you know, just like he's a billionaire, he's come in, wants to be better than the last billionaire who, you know, was, you know, complicit in Russian war crimes and spends a shitload of money without any rhyme or reason and then just sort of scratches his head when the side are like closer to relegation than they are title winners, despite having a squad that was assembled for nearly just over half a billion dollars quid. It's, it's nuts. And Microsoft is very much like that as well. You know, that sort of very, yeah, not to generalize America, but you know, American corporation businesses, big business have this thing of like, if we throw money at it for a while, that'll do something. And then we'll take over and we'll be the ones. And, you know, Microsoft's whole thing has been that for the last two decades. They've been in the games business and have they ever turned a profit on anything? Really? And, you know, would any other companies have survived this long? You know, they basically threw away a one-horse race in the Xbox 360 PS3 generation, you know, where you know they were dominating it and still lost effectively when you go back to sales now. And they have never really won a generation they've been in, despite all that money, despite all the freedom they could have. I mean, it's insane that you have that much money and that much freedom to fail, and you don't learn from it. You don't make things better. You know, it's very much about dominance rather than being like the best in a creative sense. I think that's always been the problem there. And as I go back to, not great for game developers like Arcane, who are very much for the love of the game. You know, and as Aaron said, it's not all about Xbox and Microsoft and that, that there are issues beyond that. But it's the timing of it and everything that's come before couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's also interesting to see though, like um, as far as like Microsoft taking over some studios, like when they bought, um, when they bought Obsidian since Obsidian has been under their wing, they did have Pentiment and they did have um, Grounded, which are both kind of like, um 
you know, smaller, more experimental games that kind of either um, were an extreme niche like uh, Pentiment was, just like kind of this like really handcrafted story game, or like Grounded, which was like actually released in early access and like given time to given time to evolve and find its footing and um by all accounts supposed to be a, a, a very successful game and as far as like taking that kind of big studio that usually is kind of known for a, a house style and letting them um experiment with things uh, my hope is that uh you know this is this is the moment where like we can hopefully have have them like make their hi-fi rush yeah. you know make their like you know, settled, maybe this yeah. is their ghostwire tokyo yeah maybe this is their ghostwire tokyo which like for me wasn't as as interesting um as as their previous titles and then they can like have a you know smaller team making a smaller more focused game uh that can that can kind of just pop out and uh you know uh, something that doesn't have a huge development cycle and can just kind of focus on something very small and um yeah like and like again like they did with prey moon crash which was kind of a you know a smaller um, you know, DLC of Prey that ended up, I think, being just as as interesting as the the main yeah, game I mean, itself. So I if think, they if they got that in them, I mean, you know, is that not like been the tale of the uh, big immersive style games that mm-hmm. I think are two great examples in the modern era are Prey, Moon Crash, and Hitman Freelancer. Mm-hmm. You know, get, you mm-hmm. know, game modes that basically just rip up the rule book and make the game feel fresh all over again. And hopefully mm. to sort of push the way forward you know, for those companies. So maybe, maybe something like that might be what Arcanos to need. You know, maybe something smaller to push out ideas. I mean, the indie space has shown that you could do immersive sims on a small scale. I mean, look at Gloomwood. You know, that, that's a great example. You know, of that with you know limited budget, limited uh, visual capacity still manages to get the fundamentals right. So, yeah, something like that. And, yeah, I, I really do take heart in that, that maybe it just takes time to be settled and get the time. I just hope they get the time. And I just think everything that's going on around at the minute just doesn't feel like they might get that time because the company is in a very different place than it was when they bought Obsidian, you know, so... We shall see. It's definitely a game that I think we're all going to be keeping an eye on and just seeing what they're able to actually amend over the course of whether it's, you know, the various updates or their sort of content yeah. mapping and whatnot for their plan for the next three, six, nine year uh, throughout and whatnot. I just, um, I just keep having my fingers crossed that this is like a colonial marine style AI bug where they just like fix a typo and suddenly the, yeah. suddenly the enemies have like I mean, pack tactics I mean, imagine, and stuff. <laughs> imagine if those that simple, but I think we've also you know all spoken to the fact that like even if the AI is addressed, like there are other issues here that it's like realistically, I mean unless they're able all of a sudden to populate that world with so many more interesting missions or locales in these things. But as we've said, you know, is Microsoft going to give them even more of a budget and more importantly, you know, the time to actually do this instead of being like, all right, we're going to move on to the next thing in a year and a half from now, if even yeah, less I mean, than that. Because I know they've already promised two heroes, correct? Or two more heroes are coming. Are you kidding? Yeah. Two more heroes? Yeah, I think so. I think there's that like is, a there's like a season that, that pass is not thing. what this needs. There's a season pass yeah. that has two more heroes. Promise. I, I think that might go on the back for a bit. Um, yeah. I mean, oh the God. ideal redemption. Talk about not uh, prioritizing. Yeah, I mean, the ideal redemption story. I would say personally, and I, no, I'm not a game developer, so by all means, shoot me on this. But take 
the basics of what we have here. Yeah. Add all in the shit that they wanted to. Make, again, it's very similar, but it's a sequel. And given Game Pass can allow for that, bam, there you go. Redemption art. Oh, it looks the same. It's the same Redfall. It'll be the same problem. And then, surprise, it's not. It's an arcane game. Exactly like you, you know, the sort of thing. Not exactly like, but more in line with what they wanted to do. And Bethesda does have like a history of that, yeah. like with Death of the Outsider, which is that kind of like micro sequel sequel yes. we're talking about. That's like that's like somewhere between like a DLC and like a sequel, where it's like you know not quite the scale of the main game, but like you know a good like thirty dollar, you know a good thirty dollar um, substantial. Yeah, they did the same game. with Wolfenstein um, as well with the uh, yep. sort of offshoots. Yep, old yeah, blood, old blood um, and young yeah, blood. And yeah, blood, Christ, yeah. So yeah, it's it's doable. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That might be the way to go. Overall, like I think that I think this is this is a game that I like see what they're going for, and I just wish that I could get that in a more distilled, <laughs> a more distilled and direct manner. Because, like, like I've said, like there are so many places where, like, even if even if nothing's happening, like uh, there is something kind of nice about just walking through the town. Like the town has personality. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it does. They capture. They 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 fully painted that little like small seaside tourist trap town you know you can walk by the storefronts and you're like that's the exact type of store that would be there you know or um you know just like little uh just little like decorative things or like i i I wrote down like there's just a church you go into and there's like there's like the text like sideways on the wall in like various sizes and i'm like man i know exactly what type of church this is i know the vibes that this church is it's like this like cool hip church that's trying to (laughs) capture the you know trying to get the youths um and like it's there's so many little moments of flavor that like i feel like in this game i'm getting um glimpses of the of the like world design and uh and like some of the level design and some of the more um bigger uh bigger mission areas but just none of the not as much of the mechanical density or um you know uh handcrafted nature of of encounters and levels that i'm used to from this and again it's just because of this this open world that seems to be at odds with what they're trying to do kind of being added to my uh my pool of games where i'm kind of using them as uh examples of why these days i gravitate more towards just smaller experiences not even necessarily in terms of like an hours uh metric but just like worlds that are smaller because i'm looking for more of that sort of intricacies and whatnot that uh you know make you want to actually spend more time in that world regardless of its size um so it's a shame uh that this hasn't exactly turned out to be uh the game that we were looking for forwards to but uh we were happy to have you all the same Aaron, just to pick your brain on redfall and kind of this new departure from what arcane has you know delivered in the past and whatnot but uh we enjoyed having you all the same as always yeah thanks for having me thank you for listening to another episode of safe room if you enjoy the show please rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter at safe room pod for show updates you can follow our twitter account for horror bites also at horror bites underscore sr you can join our discord channel safe room podcast to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love and last but not least you can email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.